Okay, so Alan, it's time to talk about octogenarians. Okay, so I have an 86-year-old woman patient who was recently found to have a 1.9 centimeter grade 2 left breast cancer with metastasis to 6 out of 15 axillary lymph nodes. The ER and PR were negative. The HER2 was 3 plus positive. The FISH was also positive. I think it was 5. And the KI67 was 40%. Can you talk a little bit more about the woman herself and her life situation? So, okay, she's got mild Parkinsonism. She's got a tremor, but she walks normally. She has hypertension. She lives by herself in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. She's got a devoted son. She's Jewish. She's Orthodox. She is a Holocaust survivor. She managed to survive in Poland during World War II. How she did that, she could go on for a long time telling you that story of how she survived. You've talked to her about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she'll talk to anyone about that. She likes to tell a story. It's not quite like Roman Polanski's movie, but it's kind of that idea and how one family protected her and then how she managed to sell some jewelry to survive. And then after the war, I believe she was in a DP camp, a displaced persons camp in Germany. Then she was able to come to this country and naturally is very grateful to this country. And what was her life situation in terms of her family and lifestyle? Well, she has a son and she's retired now, but she lives independently. What kind of work did she do? She worked in the garment industry. We used to have a big garment industry in New York City. It's not so much anymore. And it's interesting, you know, some people, given the experience that she had during World War II, might be quite bitter or fearful. Just a very, very positive outlook on everything. Always has a smile, likes to talk to you, wants to tell her story, and just a very lovely person. And, you know, also a very devoted son. Any comorbidities? Well, as I said, she's got mild Parkinsonism, so she's got a bit of a tremor. But she walks normally. She's got lower leg edema hypertension, but no overt heart disease. How specific a detail did she want you to get into about her tumor and the numbers and all that? Or was it just, doctor, what do I do? She's a very bright woman. And she didn't need the numbers specifically, but she wanted to know what the pros and cons of treatment were. So did she have a lumpectomy or mastectomy? She had a lumpectomy. She wanted a lumpectomy. And how did she tolerate general anesthesia and Fine. go through surgery and everything? Fine. No problems. No problems with that. And she was aware that this was a pretty serious situation in terms of the threat of recurrence. Yes, she's very aware of that. Did she actually ask you what the chance is it might come back? Well, you know, I always go through that with patients. I ask them, what do you want to know? Like, how much information would you like me to give you? I ask them, would you like me to give you the statistics from Advent Online? And she actually wanted it. So I printed it out for her, and I went over the data. And I worked with a nurse practitioner, so the nurse practitioner also spent a lot of time with her and with her son going over the data. So, Lee, how would you think through this situation? Well, one question now. Did you do a metastatic workup on her? Yes, yes. She was with a PET scan, negative. So for older patients who are independent in function and who have a good quality of life, I think, and no severe comorbidities, I think one could consider adjuvant treatment. She's hormone receptor negative, and that's not an option here. She's HER2 positive. This is actually the one situation where I would consider giving Herceptin as a single agent in the adjuvant setting. In general, I haven't done that because I think that the data is compelling for the being synergy between chemotherapy and Herceptin. And certainly, I think there are a few situations where Herceptin alone could be considered. But in this patient, I think that there's at least extrapolatable data that would provide some benefit. 
the toxicity, of course, is rather minimal. I uh, would probably get an ejection fraction on her up front before I would think about doing that. And then I would treat her with every three-week Herceptin for up to a year if she tolerated it and was able to maintain the transportation and her quality of life. Same exact woman, same tumor, same everything, except she's 76 instead of 86. There I'd be more inclined to consider chemotherapy in a 76-year-old healthy woman who would have a life expectancy of 10 years. Which chemo? In that case, I would use TCH. Is that in general what you're using, or are you using anthracycline? I'm using anthracycline still in younger patients, but based on the B31 data in terms of the cardiac toxicity, I'm looking at ejection fractions, and for individuals who are over 60, TCH is my regimen of choice. The NSABP did just present an update on the cardiac data at ASCO, and that was one of the things that came out, trying to narrow down a little bit more about who might be at greater risk. And they had this really weird formula with all these numbers and things. And I first thought, I was like, are you kidding? It was like really strange. But then they showed this curve and it really, I mean, I don't know whether to believe it or not, but it was really strongly correlated to try to predict. But I mean, the bottom line was age, as you pointed out, was a variable. I think prior hypertension that was treated. Age and use of antihypertensive right. medication, of which this woman has both. So, Do you think there's a role for that formula, or is it more just sort of seat-of-pants type thing? No, I think it's a first step in trying to individualize cardiac risk, which is a very welcome thing when, in a tough case like this, you're trying to weigh risks and benefits. It certainly should be, and I'm sure it will be validated in, hopefully, the intergroup adjuvant trial. I wanted Peter Ravden to put this formula on adjuvant, and then you could just you know, put the things in there and see what it looked like. We'll see. Yeah, I would echo Lee's sentiment that this is a scenario where I'm not enthusiastic about giving cytotoxic chemotherapy. Insurance companies are usually very good at predicting life expectancy, and if you input her variables at age 86, the chance of her dying of something other than breast cancer within 10 years is probably higher than the chance that she'll die of breast cancer. I don't know about no. that, you know, particularly recurrence. She's so 86. Two or three years. I don't know. This is a bad tumor and her two positive disease. I mean, right. That doesn't mean death, Maybe she though. won't die of breast cancer, but she sure has a high risk of recurring the next right. couple and years. Right, at which time she could certainly be treated with trastuzumab or trastuzumab-based therapy. So, so you're for me, thinking the, the question, same thing, trastuzumab For me, the notion is she's probably going to need breast cancer therapy at some point in her life. Should I treat her now with intent to cure or delaying time to progression, or shall I not expose her to a certain risk of heart failure and treat her at the time where her disease recurs if it recurs. Not every patient with six positive nodes and her two positive disease is going to recur in five years. So you're thinking trastuzumab alone. What about, again, if she were 76? If she was 76 with the same general physiology, I would be thinking about chemotherapy. I might just think about using weekly paclitaxel and trastuzumab, recognizing that it's never been studied in any particular regimen. Although I think it is about to be studied, if I understand. Right. TCH is certainly a reasonable non-anthracycline regimen that's safer for the heart. I'm not so sure what the carbo contributes in that regimen. I had heard that there was going to be a paclitaxel, trastuzumab study, particularly for people like this. Is that actually going to happen? I understand that there's going to be perhaps a registry to see how patients with certain tumors that you Hmm. might treat differently would be treated, but I'm not sure if there's a definitive plan yet for that. Alan, can you follow up with this patient? Yeah, so it wasn't clear what the right thing to do was. And if you plug the data into the adjuvant online, turns out, as Andy has said, the benefit to adjuvant chemotherapy 
is exceedingly small. What does Adjivin Online say her chance of dying of something other than non-breast cancer? High, you know, like very high. I can't remember that. Why don't we plug it in? We'll see. But but can you go to Adjivin Online and see 86-year-old woman, and would you call her good health? No, she's average. Average, average 86-year-old. Even though she's got very high risk of recurrence, just as Andy said, you've got a 1% to 2% benefit from Adjivin Chemo. So bottom line is, what did you do? Well, can I just tell you, the son, you made reference to, Andy, the Talmudic discussion. Well, this is Brooklyn, and we have a very large Orthodox Jewish population. So, in fact... Was she Hasidic? Was he Hasidic? No, no, they're Orthodox, but not Hasidic. Okay. So the son actually is quite knowledgeable about the Talmud. So these kind of discussions, actually, that kind of training is very useful for this kind of discussion. Definitely. Yeah, so I went through it with the son and with the patient. I said, I didn't really know. And I said that the benefit to chemo was quite small. But with the Herceptin, you know, maybe there was a little bit more benefit. It was very hard to know. The other thing I'll throw in here is first she came to me after seeing another oncologist in Manhattan, and her surgeon tends to be aggressive. And also, I participate with Rich Zelkowitz and a few other colleagues where we email cases back and forth to one another, and this is one of the cases we emailed back and forth, because it's a tough one. And I thought I should do something for her. So I suggested, and I can't, there's no data. First, I thought about Taxol Herceptin, short course, maybe nine, 12 weeks, but my fear of Taxol is she has Parkinsonism, she gets neuropathy, she'll fall, she'll break her hip. What have I done for yeah. her? So I decided, what about a short course of low-dose Zolota plus Herceptin? So I've given her basically 15 weeks of Zolota, 2,000 milligrams a day, 14 days on, 7 days off, 15 weeks of Q3-week Herceptin, and now I'm calling it a day. That's my plan. How's she doing? She's fine. Any hand, foot? No, none. Nothing? Nothing, zero. She's just she's, like, boom. No, she's done absolutely fine with it. Yeah. Did she so. get radiation to the breast? She's going to get, now she's just getting radiation to the breast now, yes. How does she find coming into your office and getting the infusions and all? Well, it's a bit of a, you know, a pain for her to get there, but she likes to come. She likes to talk to people. She talks uh, to other patients? Oh, yeah, she'll talk to anyone. Final quick comment is, it relates to Alan's comment about use of the internet and email to converse with colleagues about tough cases. I think this is an underappreciated resource, and it's changed the way that we treat patients. It's enhanced the way that we treat patients. So, Lee, she comes to you for a second opinion, which, of course, it sounds like would not be very likely, but let's just say, or you get emailed from her, but not from Alan, or doctor. The patient comes for a second opinion. She says, my doctors recommend capecitabine and trastuzumab, and just for 15 weeks total, that's yes. it. No more trastuzumab the rest of the year. That's it. The argument I'd make is with a hypertension, a whole year of Herceptin may increase her risk of cardiovascular disease significantly. So I kind of think you have data that a short course of Herceptin is beneficial from the finished study. So I thought it was a reasonable compromise. So I take it that in general, though, you're using a year? And most in general, it's just in this case, 86, hypertension, hard for her to get in. So, Lee, I want to tease out the idea of, you know, when we get second opinions, it's very tricky, you know, how we respond to people. That's why I want to pick the situation. So are you going to say, totally, I agree, that's what I would do? Would you say, that's not quite what I would do. I would do this, but I'm okay with it. Or that's not quite what I would do. I would do this. And I don't really think that's a good idea. What would you say? Well, at this point in my career, I tend to uh, support what other doctors say in second opinions, and that's very different than what it was well, when I was first I mean, if somebody practice. came to you who was a clearly premenopausal patient who had a recommendation for an AI... Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I, what I, what I'm saying is where there's uncertainty. Exactly. In this case, where I'm there's no clear-cut answer, to say that's wrong and here's the right way would be inappropriate. 
you would say, just has been told, we don't know what the right answer is. This is one option. If pressed for another option, I would deliver another option. Andy, same thing. You're okay? Yep. I mean, this is out of the box here a little I bit. I often say sometimes things are black and white, and sometimes there are shades of gray. There's a spectrum of reasonable options that you could choose from. This is one of them. Interesting. Yeah, it's really hard to kind of tease out, you know, what's in the box that's acceptable. 